Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Thank you, Stephanie. Our series has been called Upside Down. And in this series, I've asked us to really put our capacity to imagine things to work, to really imagine what it would be like to be the, some of the first hearers of the word, words of Jesus when he, when he said these things, to hear them with all the authority with which he would have said these, he would have spoken these things. You can imagine there would be people in the crowd, well, some of which who were very, very interested. They were buying into what Jesus said. And there were probably others that were just curious because of all the things that he had done. Maybe there are others that weren't quite convinced of his claims, his authority, but there they were listening to him. When Jesus came and he spoke and he taught and he ministered, one thing he was always interested in is where people were with the Lord, where people were in their relationship with God. I think he was always leaving people asking that question of, how is my How's my walk with God? How are things between me and God? And as much as I want us to live in like first century Palestine, I want us to also think through the words of Jesus that Stephanie just read, how they land in 21st century mid-Atlantic. What, did, what does this say to us? Because if, if Jesus had, you know, Farmermen, uh, farmers and fishermen in his crowd. If he were speaking today, he would be speaking to those in mid-level management, and he would be speaking to single moms. He would be speaking to teachers. He would be be speaking to retirees, and he'd be looking at those that are mechanics. He would be talking to middle school students. He would be talking to those in healthcare professions, and. He has something to say to us today, and everyone brings our concerns. We bring our concerns, uh, bills to pay and family situations and stress. We bring our concerns of transitions and relationships. We bring our concerns of vacation and hobbies and high-pressure jobs and no jobs. We bring all that. And as Jesus speaks today, I want us to ask a question of ourselves, and that is, how are we with God? And you're just putting it right, right to you. How are you? How is your relationship? How are things with you and with God? How would you know? How would you know if things are going okay or poorly? I believe the whole Sermon on the Mount is to help us really look at our whole person and evaluate where are things with me and the Lord. And particularly today, we're going to look at two indicators. And one of those indicators is how is my communication with God? Because that's going to be very, very insightful into what's going on in my walk with the Lord. How's my communication with God in prayer? 
And another one of those things is going to be, how am I doing at loving my neighbor? How are things there? How is my communication with God and how are things with my neighbor? I'm so excited for us to listen to Jesus today because I know what he is going to teach us and tell us is going to be so, so helpful. His teaching is going to be perfect. But what I also know is you're going to hear the perfect teaching of Jesus from a a very flawed messenger. So what you're not going to hear is this perfect practitioner of communicating with God or this person that has figured out exactly what it means to love my neighbor well. I have so many areas to grow in my relationship with God, but I do come to Jesus' words as I hope you come to Jesus' words ready to learn, even ready to be challenged, ready to be confronted with what he might have to say to all of us. So we're going to look at both these indicators, communicating with God and loving each other, but I'd actually like even to flip the order uh, that, that he gave us and just look at verse 12 first. And then we'll get back to verses 7 through 11. So if you have your Bibles open still, look at verse 12. Jesus says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Maybe you didn't realize it that Jesus gave us this form of the golden rule. You might be familiar with moral, moral teaching and it certainly isn't like Jesus is the only one that's ever said this. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. But notice he says, this is, this is the law and the prophets. This summarizes the law and the prophets. So what Jesus is doing is not just giving us a, a, a short saying that would give us some wisdom of how to live life with other people. He is doing that. He's doing more than that because he says, when I say do to others as you wish that they would do to you, what Jesus is saying is that's connected to the law and the prophets. And when Jesus says law and the prophets, for for those who maybe are new to the Bible, that is his shorthand way of saying all of the Old Testament or the first two-thirds of your Bible are summarized in this. Do to others as you would have them do to you. How can he say that? It's because the law is more than just legal codes, statutes, ordinances. As a matter of fact, I shared this quote with you earlier on the Sermon on the Mount, but the law is the whole foundation story of Israel. That's the way this word is used. It's the whole foundation story of Israel, explaining how the world was created, but also how Israel, the creation of Israel as God's beloved covenant people. It's the story of Israel and, and the instructions that accompany God's covenant with his people. So it's not just like do's and don'ts. It's a story. And then with the story, there are these accompanying instructions that says, this is how you should live in light of the story. And so Jesus says, from Genesis to Malachi, this whole story of the law and the prophets, all of this can be summed up in something very, very simple. If you're you're putting things together, this is the way you ought to put it together. You ought to do to others as you wish that they would do to you. It's more than just a good advice to get. Good karma somehow flowing your way. Jesus has more to offer than just, yeah, pay it forward. 
He says, this is what the whole story from creation is about. And he does so in such a positive way. As a matter of fact, if you were to walk in, in Palestine, there would be other teachers who would be saying very similar thing. It's just Jesus says it in a positive way due to others. They would say it maybe in a negative way. If you don't want someone to do that to you, you shouldn't do it to them. But notice that's not exactly how Jesus frames it. And I think the way he frames it in a positive way is because love is what always initiates. Love sacrifice, love seeks. It's always proactive. And, and in loving our neighbor, we might wish, well, I wish he would covered some more scenarios because that's just kind of broad. I wish he'd, well, if your neighbor does this in this particular case study, you can do this. But if he does this, then you ought to do that. In this particular situation, maybe this would be the way to, and Jesus, like, away with all that. And makes it so, so simple, doesn't he? It's not simplistic, but it is simple. He makes us use our imagination and actually do something that isn't that hard for us. He could have said, what you need to do is just be nice to lots of people. Everybody you meet, be nice to them. Think of ways to be nice to them. What he does is, is, let's look at it from this perspective. Whatever you wish thing, something was, was done to you in that manner, We'll do that for someone else. Most people, their favorite subject to think about and to talk about is themselves. I generally don't have a hard time thinking about, I wonder how I would want to be treated in this situation. That comes, honestly, it comes like this to me. I know exactly how I would want to be honored, respected, thought of. I know how I would want people to talk about me to my face, behind my back. And Jesus says, you're, you're so capable at this. I think this is why he also says, love your neighbor just as you love yourself. Tells husbands, love your wives just as you take care of your own flesh. Because we're really good at this. What a helpful roadmap. I, I think if we just went individually and said, how many, how many people will all of us collectively come into contact with? I think it'd be just in the next seven days. I think it might be thousands. I thought it might be tens of thousands of people that our paths would interact. And Jesus says, I'm just going to give you one rule for that. One assignment for all of those interactions that you have. And this will just sum up the law and the prophets. I think if you thought of two to three relationships that are going really good right now, this might be a helpful exercise. Two to three relationships that you feel actually are in a really good place. What should you do in light of those relationships? And Jesus would point you to this this statement, this instruction. And frankly, when a relationship's going well, I don't want to be taken for granted. Jesus says, then don't take someone else for granted. I I need encouragement. Jesus would say, yes. So now be an encouragement to someone else. I need someone that will listen. Be that person for someone else. Think of two to three good relationships. Think of two to three tough relationships. Those that need help. Maybe with family members or a colleague at work or a former friend or a neighbor. Where might God start a work of healing and restoration of that relationship? I guess you could kind of fold your arms and go you know what, I'm here, they know where I am. They want to make things right. They know how to, how to reach me. 
Or Jesus says, take the initiative. Extend that forgiveness if it's needed. Give someone that benefit of the doubt. Work hard to understand where they're coming from. Go the extra mile. How are things going spiritually for you? Jesus is very interested in that question. How are things with you and God? And part of that has to be answered in a framework of what's going on with you and your neighbor. And he gives us instruction on this. So, so helpful. But there's another, another area where I feel like Jesus just runs a, a diagnostic test on our heart. What's going on there? And it's, it's found in verse 7 and 8. So Jesus says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. You see how simple these actions are? I remember even as a kid, I think being in Sunday school and in children's church, learning these very, these very verses. And, and it was simple back then. It's still simple today. It, it's like one word commands here, ask and seek and knock. And then he says, this is the action. And then the result will be you'll receive. You'll find the door will be opened. It, it's so simple and so straightforward. There are results promised. Simple action, results promised. You take it at face value, you ask, and God hears and answers those requests. And I was thinking about just this week, I was reading through my Bible in my personal time, uh, just reading through God's word, and I saw people praying, and I saw God answering. This week in my inbox were some email newsletters from missionaries. And I was reading how they said, last month we asked you to pray for this and God answered by doing this. And it's just that simple. Seek and you will find. I think of even in my own life, so situation recently where like things weren't, weren't exactly going well. I knew I needed this situation to go a certain way. And probably my, my first inclination is to get a little bit anxious about it. Is this going to work out? And, but then I remembered a couple of weeks ago, I preached on don't get anxious about anything. So I better not get anxious about anything. So I settle that down. But my next thing right after don't be anxious is often like despair. It'll, it won't go well. I'm kind of the the plan for the worst and hope for the best. But I think the way that works out in my life is it's a lot of planning for the worst, minimal hoping for the best. So I I feel like in this particular situation, I just kind of resigned myself to despair. I wasn't worried. I just felt like there's no way this is going to go well. But I took a deep breath and said, Lord, help. This is like getting my blood pressure higher. This, I, I, I would love to see you work in this situation. And he did. He did. He answered that prayer. I was told last week about a gathering of some members of our church family, the parents uh, of foster children in our congregation. And there was a particular meeting coming up this last Wednesday. And so a group of our church members gathered this past Sunday and the meeting had this expected result that, that really seemed to not be favorable to the child, to the, to the parents who are fostering this child. 
in this group of believers, our church family members, our brothers and sisters prayed. And I got a report on Wednesday night. I got to have a conversation just this morning that God answered a prayer in a powerful way, in a totally unexpected way. So this is what happened. Ask, and it was given. Knock, and the door was opened. And, and of course, there, there's all sorts of other issues going on, lots of things going on, and there's, there's so much even pain and, and difficulty attached to those situations. But it was yet another reminder, even this week, thank you, Lord, that when we ask, you, you do hear. I think of a friend in East Asia right now that is there, and, and four or five months ago I was praying, Lord, open the doors for him to be able to be there. And so recently we sent out Barnabas from our church, and God opened the door. We asked, we prayed, and God heard those prayers and answered them. I, I, I hear this, and I, I hear the teaching of Jesus, and I want us to hear it loud and clear. Jesus promises results, and yet, and yet as simple as this sounds, as even childlike as this sounds, when I read these verses, and maybe you read them the same, if you've walked with the Lord any amount of time, if you've been a Christian any amount of time, actually these verses are some of the toughest. And why on earth would they be tough? Because, because we've asked God for things and we haven't gotten the answer we want or perhaps we just haven't even seemingly got an answer. So we, we hear these words of Jesus which are so straightforward. Then we go, yeah, but what about? And I have probably a hundred whatabouts when it comes to a verse like this. And maybe some of you are even still asking or you've quit asking despite what Jesus has said because it's just become too painful and caused you a lot of doubt. If you could just chalk it up to, well, Curtis said, ask anything and you'll receive. It actually might be a little bit easier for you, but I'm not the one that said it originally. Jesus said it. And so this, this is the challenge. It's so easy to protest. Part of me, part of me wants to spend the rest of our time. I, I feel like I could talk an hour on what Jesus didn't mean by this. And I could hedge here and say, well, there is this verse here and there's this cross-reference and you better consider this and then there's this too. And what about this? And I feel like I could talk an hour and I won't, but I, I feel like I could talk an hour trying to and my impulse is to do that so that none of you have your faith completely destroyed because I've watched people pray and, and they've, they've, this has been a very painful part of their Christian walk. And there's something in me that says that's, that's not what I want it to see happen. And yet, if I gave you all these caveats of, well, here's 10 things to remember about praying, that it may actually have the net effect of doing the opposite of what Jesus said to do. So in my zeal for your faith not to be hurt, you might end up not obeying Jesus. I think the thing that helped me like, process most of this actually came from this book. So it's called A Praying Life. It's by, written, by, written by Paul Miller, and I think there's another edition out now. I read lots of books on prayer. No book like, made me want to pray like this one does. A lot made me feel guilty about not praying. A lot did that. I'm not recommending those today. 
this one, oh, this one made me want to pray, made me want to think through, okay, what's going on in my heart? And what Paul Miller says in that book is there are two ditches when it comes to prayer, two dangers that we fall into. Well, so one of those ditches is when it comes to prayer, we ask selfishly. We ask selfishly. So, so this is actually, I, I don't think this is what Jesus is addressing, but we can say to God, not your will be done, but my will be done. I mean, James and John had their request. Jesus, we want you to do whatever we, we want. You good with that? And even James says in his book in the New Testament, we ask and we don't receive because we ask selfishly. We just want what we want with no real thought of relationship. God's our genie. Just like, bring it out. When I say it, you ought to make it happen. And that's one ditch. And that's a ditch to avoid. We ought to be more like Christ who said, not my will, but yours be done. But I think what we have a tendency to do is if we're not in that ditch, we'll, we'll swerve to go and we'll find ourselves in another ditch. We often lack balance and we don't just kind of do things the way we're supposed to do them or is the way God holds them out for us to do. But the other ditch we fall into is we just don't ask. And that's what I think Jesus is addressing. There are plenty of other places of, in Scripture where Jesus is addressing asking selfishly. But I think Jesus is looking at his followers then and I think he's speaking to his followers now and saying, you don't ask. You don't ask. And that's why I think it, it just is that simple. Ask and you will receive. He says, if you don't ask, if you rarely seek, if you only occasionally knock. And just to put it in common language, like you're not, you're not even in the game. Jesus gives us an invitation and says, why don't you do this? Ask. He's spoken about results. He says, this is what's going, going to happen when you ask. But then he attaches that to the character of God. Look at verse 9. He says this, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? Who does that? And if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So helpfully here, Jesus takes the character of God and gives us an analogy we can relate to. And that is a, a, a parent relationship. And particularly, I hear this as an, an earthly dad. And he says, earthly dads, you are evil. And I think my kids probably think that sometimes. But if I just like, okay, Jesus is saying, I am flawed. I'm forgetful. He says, if you know, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, Oh, there are times where I don't feel like giving my kids what they ask for. When it's 8.45, we're trying to get toward bedtime and we get their ice cream request. Are you serious? And then we get it again. And then it, it's like, you don't want to ask another time. I'm tired of it. Don't pester me, don't bother me. So I think, if you being evil, yes, I get this. But at the same time, I'd have to say, worse than my kids asking for things would be for my kids 
to assume I didn't want to give them anything good. And so they would never bother asking. You know how deeply hurtful that would be for my heart? That they just assumed their father could barely tolerate them and didn't want to give them anything. And then I think of our Heavenly Father who never gets weary of an honest heart pursuing him. Never gets weary of us trusting that he is for us, that he loves us, that he enjoys us. I try my best to give good gifts. What would they enjoy? What would make their life better? And what I recognize even in this passage is even in those rare like dad hall of fame moments where I get it right, like it's just perfect. Even in those moments where it all comes together and I'm, I'm as generous as I possibly could be and I got the exact thing that w- they wanted and they needed and that they will love, even in those moments, what I, hear, what I hear in this passage is Jesus saying, if you can get it right like that as an earthly father, how much more? If you're in the habit of underlining things in your Bible, that may be a good thing to underline. How much more? Will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? How much more? How much wiser is God than you are? How much more powerful is God than you are? How much more loving is God than you are? How much more patient is he than you are? How much more? He isn't interested in being unhelpful. He's not going to give you stones when you ask for bread. He's not going to give you a snake just to watch you squirm. He likes to put you in a dangerous spot just for the fun of it. It's not what he does. As I've, as I've read this this week, for me, it really boils down to a couple things. When I don't pray, if I just simplify it way, way down, when I'm not praying, it says a lot about what I think of myself. When you don't pray, it says a lot of what you think about yourself. What do I mean? Well, all too often by my lack of prayer, I am saying that I am pretty self-confident. I'm independent. I know what to do. Why pray? Why bother? I know what to do. When I don't pray, it's saying something about that, isn't it? There's a trait that I learned, and I feel like it served me well from growing up, and that is like to take care of yourself and to be independent and get things done. Like you don't have to ask people for help. You, you self-starter, you get it done. And that's a great, great trait. And I hope many, many of you have that trait. I will say that is not a great trait to build relationships upon. How would it make those closest to me, imagine the closest family members, my closest friends, for me to communicate, frankly, I'm just here for you. I don't need anything from you. There's absolutely nothing you could give me. So I'm not going to ask you for anything. Because there's nothing you could give. I've kind of got my act together. And I'm just here to help you out. That's not a relationship. But it's amazing when we find ourselves in a helpless spot. And like, I think lots of us at Ogletown, we don't find ourselves in helpless, helpless spots that often. 
it's a good number of folks that are successful and smart and maybe academically or maybe just street smarts or you're amazing with the arts or you're good in business or you're good with social skills, you're good with emotional intelligence and rarely do you find yourself helpless. But it is amazing when we actually consider, okay, so I don't need anybody's help, not even God's? What that says about myself. If we looked at the last week of your prayer life, what's that saying about you? What you think of yourself? And when I don't pray, it says one more thing. It says really what I think of God. What I think of God. Could I be showing by my lack of prayer that at least in my estimation, he really can't be trusted? I'm sorry, God, you don't have a good enough track record in this area for me to ask you about anything right now. I'm not sure you care. I'm not sure you're listening. I don't pretend that we get to those spots very, like just overnight. And maybe there is something you need to work through with a friend, with a church member, maybe a pastor. I mean, I, I don't pretend, like we'll never get there. I, I think, no, no, we, we all could get there. where we feel like, I don't, I don't even feel like talking to God. Or maybe even as I, I talk about this, you realize you're kind of assuming a relationship with God. Curtis, I'm not sure I have that. I think, what a great realization to come to. Because I feel like there is hope and help today. You'd say, I, I hear you talking about prayer and kind of in the relationship of Father. Curtis, I don't even know where that relationship stands. I'd say, would you please, would you please talk to someone afterwards? Talk to one of the pastors here. We'd love to have that conversation because I believe Jesus promised to ask and it will be given to you. I I think that may be attached to your forgiveness today. If you ask for the Lord to forgive you, ask him to reconcile a relationship with God for you. Ask him even for faith to believe in things that have come very hard for you to believe. Ask for him to give you new life. What Jesus says is, you go look at an earthly father and then how much more your heavenly father. Heavenly father who doesn't try to create distance and keep us there. But we're told, we're told in these verses, come, ask, seek, knock, and count on the fact that God always answers Count on the fact that God always gives good gifts. So what is your prayer life like? Where does it stand? Are you satisfied with it? That'd be great if there are several in our room that, yeah, I feel like the Lord's given me some grace in this area. Are you dissatisfied with it? Where, where, could, we, where could we start to help us with the urgency or the focus or the effectiveness? Where, where could we start? I want to give you a challenge. And I, I mean this, frankly. I, I love, I'd love for every person in this church today to take this challenge. And I'm not going to call on you to set your alarm for 4 a.m. and do two hours of morning prayer. That's not the challenge. The challenge is not for you to compile this 
complicated daily prayer calendar. I'm not going to challenge you to download a, a prayer request app. I'm not going to tell you my challenge today isn't even to read a book or make an elaborate system of prayer cards. Frankly, all those things can be very, very helpful. And maybe that's what you need to do today. So if you want to do that, here's my challenge though. I, I feel like when a kid is terrified of something or just is, is not sure what's going on, you take the kid and you kind of walk them through that. You help them wade in and, and, and maybe you feel like I, I don't know really how to jumpstart this because things have not been good. I don't know how to kickstart ac- actually asking God for things. So here's what I want you to do. Su- super simple. It's just think of two to three things you can ask God for. I'd love it. Everybody, everybody did that. You'd say, well, I can think of 50. Well, narrow it down to two. Because 50 may not get you past Monday. Two to three things. I'm going to minimize every qualifier, extra thing to think about. I just, I just want you to think in light of your heavenly father, in light of the character that you know about God, who he is, what he's done, the nature of his love for us in Jesus Christ, the nature of all that, in light of that, then what are two to three things you could ask God for? And, and, and maybe that's long-term or maybe that's short-term, maybe that's personal, maybe that's a, a relationship, maybe that's spiritually, maybe that's physically, maybe it's for you, maybe it's for someone else. Maybe it seems big, maybe it seems small, but I want to tell you two to three things and just write it down. Put it down somewhere. Put it in a place where you'll see it regularly this week, preferably every day. Maybe it's your nightstand or maybe it's the dashboard of your car or maybe just leave it in your email inbox or just something, something where you know, I'm going to see this, I'm going to see this every single day and talk to God about it. Ask him. Ask him. That's what he said. Ask, seek, knock. So I, I feel compelled that the Lord is wanting me to do that. I pray for lots of things. It's like, let's, let's just bring it right back to the basics, Curtis. Two to three things. So I'd, I'd love for you to just take a moment and think about that. Think about what the Lord might be putting on your mind, on your heart to pray about. So let's do that for just a second. And then I want to pray for you in this effort. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to end our, end our time of worship with a, with a prayer. Let me pray for us. Father, I have no idea what you might be putting on our hearts and minds. But I do hear Jesus' words loud and clear, and so I pray that his voice would have all authority today and that we would be a church of askers and seekers and knockers, that we would look at the character of our Heavenly Father and we would be less dependent on our ability to get things done, less confident in our solutions to solve the world's problems. We'd be more eager to trust you and see you come through. Lord, may you ignite in our hearts a desire to pray today or reignite that desire. In Christ's name we ask all these things. Amen.